Hello, church. I want to welcome all of you, our family out of Bettendorf, each of you online, and everyone here at Rock Island. And if you're a guest with us, super glad you're here. Thanks for checking us out. As we begin today, I wonder how many of you have ever encountered something that was uh, inconsistent, contradictory. It maybe it was something that just didn't seem to make sense. It was incongruent. It was a a confusing contradiction. Maybe it was something funny, maybe ridiculous, or just plain odd. Raise your hand if you've ever encountered a contradiction. Bettendorf, get him up high too. All right, yeah, a lot of people have. It happens. It often happens. But, but let me just show you a couple pictures so that we're all on the same page as we begin today. So here's the first contradiction that came across. A stop sign with a keep moving sign beside it. That's a contradiction, and I'm not sure what you do, but whatever you do, I'm pretty sure you're wrong either way. Okay, here's another one. Take a look at this. Brand new used tires. What? I don't understand. That doesn't make any sense to me. Okay, here's another one. Check this out. Milk chocolate diet pill. I wish... But it doesn't exist. It's not. It's wrong. It shouldn't be. That's not how it works. Are you tracking the concept here? Okay, here's another one. Takes a little deeper thought to it. Nothing is written in stone. Written in stone. It's a contradiction. It's ironic. All right, last one. This is probably my favorite. The library is now selling free coffee for a dollar. Yeah. Yeah. Listen, whenever we come across things like this, they may be funny, but we know they're wrong. They shouldn't be. And some of these things can be what's called an oxymoron. An oxymoron. Say that with me. Oxymoron. Great. Yeah, it's not an oxymoron. It's an oxymoron. And I think the people who are selling the free coffee may have taken the oxy out of oxymoron when they came up with that plan. Just saying. But listen, an oxymoron is defined as this. A figure of speech by which a locution produces an incongruous, seemingly self-contradictory effect. That's a fancy way of saying matching up words and concepts that shouldn't be matched up together. And we do it all the time. Here are a few examples, and maybe you've done some of these. Check these out. Seriously funny. Pretty ugly. Same difference. Act naturally. These are all oxymorons. You ever done any of those? Said any of those? How about jumbo shrimp, deafening silence, awfully nice. And, and for those of you who are night people, you think good morning is an oxymoron. But I'm sorry to tell you it's not. It's not. I'm sorry. It's not. <laughs> Listen, when we come across these things, they may be funny, but we know they're wrong. We know they shouldn't be. And that's important because we're beginning a three-week conversation around another oxymoron. The phrase, Christian atheist. Christian atheist. Someone who says they follow Jesus, but actually lives as if everything's up to them. It shouldn't be. See, even though Jesus calls his disciples to radical obedience, more and more people profess to be a Christian, but live as if there is no God. And they're living as a Christian atheist. It may seem like a silly statement. We may be able to find some funny elements to it, but there are eternal implications for this. And and any one of us can intentionally or unintentionally step into it. And some of us are there right now. 
So having spent four weeks in our Simplify series looking at how we declutter our life and areas of time and relationship and stuff, we're now going to take three weeks to look at the quality and consistency of that simplified life in three areas. Three areas where we can find ourselves living as Christian atheists. The areas are the heart, our habit, our, our health, and our habits. Our heart, our health, and our habits. Now, I want to be clear in our understanding of what we mean by Christian, because that word is used a lot in lots of different ways that it was never really intended to be used. But it was originally designed to describe someone who was a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ, a Christ follower, a Christian. It's someone who is described in Romans as having professed and believed. Here's what Paul writes in Romans chapter 10, verse 9. He says, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It's to declare and believe. And that element of saved refers to being rescued from our sin and the penalties around it. And that is foundational. See, God loves us. He loves you. He wants relationship with you. But you and I, we have messed up enough times. We have made enough mistakes. We have sinned enough that the reality is that he as a holy God can't hang with us. But his love is so great for us that he has made a way through that, a way past that, and that is through Jesus Christ. And the only way to experience that is to profess and believe. That's when we receive new life. That's when we experience salvation. And if you're spiritually unresolved today, you don't have a relationship with God, you've never given your life to Jesus, this is the place to start. Declaring and believing. There's actually a couple of steps on the back of the sermon note guide that you received on the way in that, that has a, a sample prayer as well. And I encourage you to consider making that step from spiritual death to spiritual life by pro professing and believing. Now, whether you do that today or whether you've done that before, there's a very important reality about the lordship of Jesus. And it's this, and it's a fill-in in your sermon note guide. Lordship is established in words. It's established when we declare. It's established in words, but it's proven in practice. It's proven in practice. It's not just about saying words. It's not just about holding a belief. It is a way of life. And James, the brother of Jesus, went so far as to say, look, you believe? That's great. Even the demons believe and shudder. Lordship is just not an element of belief. It's not just holding a belief. It is about a way of life. It has a heartfelt belief that is proven in daily practice. And you may think, really? Yes. So much so that if someone holds a belief but does not move it into practice, i.e. they're living the oxymoron life of a Christian atheist, they will be turned away from heaven. So let's look at the words of Jesus. It comes from Matthew chapter 7. And, and this is, in some Bibles, this is actually titled, uh, has a header of it as true disciples. But here's what he says in verse 21. He says, not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, that would be the profess part, the declaration part, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven. That, that's the practice part. Will enter. It's not just holding a belief. It has to move to a practice reality. 
It starts with a profession. It starts with a prayer. It starts with a declaration. But it is maintained and proven in daily practice, in how we live. And, and lordship, if Jesus is truly Lord in our life, then we are predetermining to obey him in every area of our life. Predetermining. I'm going to obey. And therefore, lordship is established in words, but it's proven in practice. And anyone who holds and would praise a prayer and holds a belief, but does not move that into practice without living a life that reflects that belief in obedience, at some point they will hear the words in verse 23 of the same passage, away from me I never knew you. It is that important. Now I want to be really, really, really clear about this. I am not talking about perfection in performance. Or not, not saying that if we don't live perfectly, we're out of luck. Not talking about that at all. This is an issue of authority. This is an issue of sincere submission, of consecration. It is lordship given to Jesus, authority in our life. And a Christian atheist is seen, uh, atheism is seen when, when we act one way on Sunday and another way on Monday. It's seen when we pay lip service to publicly that we follow Jesus, but privately we do our own thing. We live our own way. We, we look at things we shouldn't be looking at, and we do things Jesus said we shouldn't do. We're living an inconsistent, incongruent, oxymoron life. We're living as a Christian atheist. And, and, and Jesus, as Lord, means we give him the throne of our life. So our decisions, our priorities, the, our entire way of life is defined by him. That's lordship. It starts with profession, but it's proven in practice. It starts with belief, but it's only fully realized when we live it out in practice, when we live obediently. That's why we're taking time to look at the three areas of Christian atheist for this series of heart and health and habits. To look at those areas. This is not about restrictions and rules. This is about relationship. It's about pursuit and, and priorities. And it starts with the heart. I'm not talking about the ticker in here. I'm actually talking about this bad boy. The heart. This symbol of the center of our life. The, the center of our emotions. The thing that has our attention, our affection, our, our desire, our love. Most often our romantic love. Now, listen. Valentine's Day is just around the corner, right? And men, start planning now. Don't be the guy who's running around on that day, hypothetically, on that day, going to store to store, finding things sold out, combing through the dregs of things, ending up with white carnation to try to color with a red Sharpie. That is not what you want to be doing on Valentine's Day. Plan ahead now. It is coming. And because it's coming, there are going to be lots of hearts everywhere, in all the seas, chocolate cookies, cake cards, and candy, hearts galore. Hearts will even take the place of words, where we will say, instead of words like love, we'll say heart, where we say, I heart you. And we'll make little symbols, I heart you. In fact, turn to somebody right now, Bettendorf, get down on this, and say, I heart you. You don't have to know them. Just turn to them, make the little symbol. It's fun. Say, I heart you. Go ahead and do that. Yeah, that's good stuff. Listen, if you knew the person, we have a relationship with them, it was kind of cute and even maybe romantic. But if you didn't know them, it was weird. <laughs> but it was weird, not because of what you said, but because you said it to them. Because we say, I heart you, and we think, yep, I get that. I understand that because the heart is a powerful symbol. A powerful symbol. 
It's why people for years have encouraged others to just say, just follow your heart. It's been said, it's been sung, it's been recited. Follow your heart. It's in our songs, it's in books. It's, it's a very popular sentiment. It's considered to be romantic and noble. But listen, it's flawed. And it'll never work. Because our heart doesn't lead. It follows. Our heart doesn't lead. It follows. This, this beautiful, wonderful thing, our heart, the center of our emotions, the center of our life, was never created to lead, but to follow. Not, not to lead, but to follow. Not lead, but follow. And it's to follow God. And our heart will never be satisfied until it is aligned through Jesus Christ in relationship with God. It'll never be satisfied. Our heart doesn't lead, it follows. And we need to lead it. We need to lead it. Because if we don't, we will find ourselves living an oxymoron life. We will find ourselves in a position where our heart drifts. But listen, you don't have to take my word for this. Let's take a look at what Jesus says about this. And so I invite you to grab your Bibles and turn to the book of Matthew. It's the first book of the New Testament. We're going to be in chapter 7. We're picking up in the section where it's really called what the Sermon on the Mount. And it's this longer extended teaching of Jesus. In fact, in the chapter that we're in, Jesus talks about giving to the needy. He talks about prayer. He talks about fasting right before we pick up the next section where we look at treasure. And then he talks about worry, which is a very interesting list for me. Giving to the needy, prayer, fasting, treasure, worry. It reflects a priority, and it reflects his priority. So here's what Jesus does. After saying, look, don't store treasure in heaven, or excuse me, don't store treasure on earth, store it in heaven, he says this. He says in verse 21, Excuse me, this is actually chapter 6, I guess. For where our treasure is, there your heart will be also. For where your treasure is, there your heart will what? Will be also. Will be. Not can be, might be, could be, should be. Will be. Because your heart doesn't lead, it follows. It doesn't lead, it follows. Now, when people hear treasure, I think we most often think of money, thanks to people like pirates. (laughs) But it's not just money. Money can have the strongest pull because of our monetary system. But treasure includes possessions, accomplishments, credentials, accreditations. Our treasure is anything and everything we value. Those things we pursue, protect, prioritize, invest in. Our treasure is our stuff, and how we handle our stuff is key, because Jesus says a lot about money and treasure. We see in both Matthew and Luke that he says we can't serve both God and money, or mammon. Can't serve both. We see in Matthew 19 that it is hard for the rich to enter into heaven, is what Jesus said. He says it's hard, not impossible, it's hard. Now, I understand that some people think that the church only talks about money, only talks about money, and I know some who do, simply to perpetuate their existence, to keep their doors open. That is not the case here at Heritage. Oh, it's true that we cannot do what God is asking us to do to reach more people, see the lost come to Jesus without your faithful giving. That's true. But that is not the primary main reason why we talk about money. 
The reason we specifically engage in conversations like this is because money is the fastest separator in our relationship with God. How we handle money can be the fastest separator because it leads our heart. Now, I also realize that sometimes talking about money and treasure in the context of the church can make people uncomfortable and and stressed out. So let's just pause for a moment and loosen things up with the best money joke I have. I have told it before, and I will tell it again because it is just that good. But let me give it to you now. Here's how it goes. Two men are shipwrecked on a desert island. The first man is panicking. He's walking back and forth and pacing, saying, we have no food, we have no water, we're going to die. The second man is calmly laying against a tree in the shade. The first man says to the second man, how can you lay there like that in this dire situation? And the second man says, well, because I make $100,000 a week. The first man says, what? What does that have to do with anything? The second man says, you don't understand. I make $100,000 a week. I tithe. My pastor will find me. (laughs) That's a great joke. Great joke. Listen, as a church, we don't talk about money and giving for organizational gain and benefit. That's not why we talk about this. We don't use people to save money. We use money to save people. That's our posture. And look, I don't even know what you give. It's important for me to know if you give. But I have people in our finance department to worry about what you give. And I don't ever want my heart an interaction with you to be defined by numbers at all. I want to love you, care for you, and pastor you just based on you being you. That's my philosophy and how I approach it, so I don't even know what you give. But it is important to understand if you give. Because it is a spiritual matter. It's a spiritual matter. And I know that some people think all the church wants is their money, but we don't. We actually want more, far more for you than that. We want you to have a full life. And a full life requires obedience. And obedience will always involve handling our treasure in a very specific way. Because it leads our heart. And and that's key. Because God reveals himself in obedience. He shows more of who he is to us in obedience. And I am having this conversation with you because I love you enough to tell you the truth. This conversation is for you. Even Jesus talks significantly about money. Significantly. 16 of his 38 parables dealt with money and possessions. In all four Gospels, one out of every 10 verse dealt with money and possessions. That's 288 verses in all. Let me put this in perspective in the whole of Scripture. In all of the Bible, there are 500 verses about prayer. There are less than 500 verses about faith. But there are more than 2,000 verses about possessions and money. It's that important. It's that important. So don't check out on me. There are great risks in wealth and possessions, but also great potential for significant impact, for the glory of God in your life. And our heart is the key. Our heart is the key. Look, something we've talked about before that is foundational to the conversation is simply that God doesn't mind if we have stuff. He minds if stuff has us. He doesn't mind if we have stuff. He minds if that stuff has us. That's important to understand that distinction. And last week, Jeremiah helped us explore how our stuff can drag us where we don't want to go and and how not to get dragged through life by our stuff. And if you missed that or any of the Simplify series, you can see it online. But as we saw last week, our relationship with our stuff is ultimately, it reveals where we find our significance. And God doesn't mind if we have stuff. He minds if stuff has us. 
But when our stuff takes priority, everything about who we are, our ability to love and honor God, who we are and what we do is thrown into confusion when our stuff has us. A.W. Tozer said it best when he said this, things have become necessary to us, a development never originally intended. God's gifts now take the place of God and the whole course of nature is upset by the monstrous substitution. There is deep truth in what Tozer is saying. Our stuff should never have us. We need to take care of our treasure instead of letting our treasure take care of us. Because our treasure, our treasure is God's good gift to us. But we have to be responsible with it and and watch what we do with it. So let's do this. I want you to hear from one of our heritage couples who have made specific investments in this area, things like Financial Peace University, to be able to position them to, to be able to avoid letting their stuff have them. So check this out. We always wanted to give more and save more and take vacations and do the house stuff, but we kind of just took a chance and hope it worked out. (laughs) And then we would worry about it later if we had enough or not. Uh, I was very reluctant at first. I thought I didn't really need something like this. But uh, when, when he pointed out so many Bible verses about the responsibility we have to take care of the money instead of letting the money take care of us, it meant a lot to me. I would say Definitely every married couple and anybody that's thinking about getting married should do it. Um, Because what would happen is that because we thought differently about it and what our goals were, maybe in our minds we didn't talk about it, and then it would cause a little bit of tension between us and the way we spent money differently. And so this way you're forced, kind of, if you're going to follow the plan, to put down your goals each month and then you're sharing those goals and don't have the arguments about where the money's going. <laughs> well, I think it it, it it behooves everybody to to look into your finances and and decide what you're going to do with the money uh, instead of just throwing it away uh, and, and being responsible for the money uh, because it's God's gift to us. And when I have this gift, I need to, to take care of it. Uh, yes, I can still buy things, but at the same time, I also know that, that I have to watch what I do with the money and, and be responsible for it. Take care of money instead of letting money take care of us. Listen, there... There are two ditches in this conversation, two extremes. One is this idea of extreme prosperity, and the other is abject poverty. We always need to be careful in any arena when we're dealing with extremes. But the key in this conversation is it's not ultimately about things. It's about our heart. It's not about having stuff. It's about our stuff having us. It's how we handle our stuff that then impacts our heart. It determines the status of our heart. And this is one of the key reasons that God has, from the very beginning of creation, called us to give back to him a portion of our stuff as an expression of worship and affection and affirmation that he is provider of those good gifts and that he, as the giver, is more important to us than the gift. Now, we talk in terms of this as a tithe. It's a term that simply means a tenth. And it refers to the first 10% of our treasure. 
It's our first fruits offering. It, that we, the first and best set aside to God, given back to him because it belongs to him. And if you're doing that in your life, you know the blessing and joy that it is to do so. You, like Jim and Deb, have seen God be faithful and show up in that faithfulness of giving over and over. But if you are not doing that, you're still looking for peace and joy. And many people in that situation look for it in more stuff, in more treasure. But again, the heart will never be satisfied until it is aligned with the things of God. If it follows money, it will never follow him. That's one reason why Paul wrote in Colossians chapter 3, he said this, Since then you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your hearts on things above. The Christian atheist is someone who believes, often genuinely and sincerely, but doesn't follow, doesn't obey, doesn't set their hearts on things above. And things above is not stargazing and astronomy. Things above would be the things that are eternal, the things that are holy, the, the things that God cares about, his purposes, his priorities, his plans. And if he is truly Lord in your life, then you will live in a manner that reflects that in heart and health and habits. But the heart has the greatest influence, and it is influenced by treasure. It follows what we value. And God doesn't mind if we have stuff. He minds if stuff has us. So here's the next thing that we need to understand in this conversation. That spiritual matters are not always financial. They're not always financial. But financial matters are always spiritual. Let me say that again. Spiritual matters are not always financial. But financial matters are always spiritual we, we can do spiritual things that have nothing to do with money. In fact, most of the things God asks us to do does not deal with treasure and money. But we will never do anything with money that is not connected to our spiritual life. That's how important this is. And when we give God what is his, those first fruits, that tithe, we communicate and demonstrate we value him. When we keep what he says is his, when we keep 100% rather than working with the 90, having given the 10% back to him, we place ourselves and our treasure ahead of him, and he is no longer Lord. And we begin to walk down a path of being a Christian atheist. Check out what Paul wrote to his young apprentice, Timothy. He said, but people who long to be rich fall into temptation." and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people, craving money, have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows, with many troubles, with many pains. People who long to be rich have set their hearts not on things above, but on money. But money's not the only pitfall when it comes to being a rich person. Because there's prominence and there's influence. We can buy what we want and self-gratification. We can end up lusting for things. And that has led many to fall into ruin. All kinds of foolish and harmful things. And before you too quickly think this doesn't apply to you, 
Let me put this into context. There are more than 7 billion people in the world. And if you currently take home in salary and income $12,000 a year or more, you're in the top 15% of that 7 billion plus. If you bring home $20,000 a year, you're in the top 4% of that 7 billion. My friends, we're rich. Especially if you look holistically at treasure, and you think about food and clothes and home and education. This is why we all need to heed the words of Paul, saying that the, that the love of money, setting your heart on money, leads to all kinds of dysfunction. When we set our hearts on treasure, our hearts will drift and wander. When we profess and believe, but don't put into practice, we are heading down a path where we'll end up hearing, away from me, I never knew you. Wherever our treasure is there, our heart will follow. It is not created to lead, but to follow, and we need to lead it. We need to lead it. So let's take this to so what? To so what? What are we going to do with what we're talking about today? Well, the Christian atheist is actually someone who's trying to serve two masters, to have their heart follow two different things. But Jesus said that's not possible. Their heart can only follow one. It has a singular focus. And, and listen, I truly want God's best for you. And I want you to live into a full life with him. And that means it will always connect your treasure at some point because your heart follows your treasure. And there's a passage in the Old Testament that Jesus actually referenced that helps us understand God's perspectives and how he feels about this. And this is from Isaiah. And he says this, These people come near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. I don't want that for you. I don't want that for you. So there are three things that I want to put before us today that one of those is a next step for you. And the first one is to give your heart. To give your heart. It starts with relationship, to set your heart, to yield your heart to Jesus Christ. Proverbs 23 says this, My son or daughter, give me your heart and let your eyes delight in my ways. The first step is to give him your heart, your affection, your attention, your desire, your love. And in order to do that, in order to give him our heart, we need to first release our treasure. We may need to lift our heart from the things of this world and set it before Jesus as an expression of worship and honor. And that means we will faithfully give in tithes and offerings. Now listen, in the Old Testament is where we find the idea of a tithe. And there are some who promote that that is only an Old Testament concept and that in the New Testament it doesn't apply. I don't see that. When I look at the whole of Scripture, that does not reconcile for me. But let's say that, that actually it is. It does not remove the obligation to give. In fact, the New Testament standard is to give as there is need. And there's a lot more than 10% need in this world. The whole concept is a one of a heart posture where we say to the Lord that he is more important to us than anything else. I want to be clear that I'm not saying money defines our salvation, but rather it's obedience. Salvation comes when we profess and believe, period, period. But it is lived out in obedience. And obedience will always connect to our treasure. And if obedience in every area of your life doesn't follow profession and belief, then you're in trouble because it is initiated and established in words, but it's proven in practice. And the first step is to give him your life, 
give him your heart. That means your treasure comes along because your heart follows. So give Jesus your heart. Lay it before him. And then next, or if you've already done that, then gird your heart. Gird it. To, to gird is to surround, prepare, strengthen, equip. And our heart is prone to wander. So be intentional in preparing it. Psalm 62 says this, And if your wealth increases, don't make it the center of your life. Prepare and strengthen your heart. Releasing your treasure is key to that, a key part of that. And if we don't, it will want to take prominence in our life, and then our heart shifts. So be careful not to let the gift become more important than the giver. It's easy to do. Even Solomon, who was the wisest man of all history and time, let wealth take a central role in his life, and it ruined him. It ruined him. And I, here's the ironic thing for me. God wants to bless us. He wants to reward obedience, and one way he can do that is through provision. But when we have things, we tend to be less dependent upon him than when we lack things. We tend to trust money more than we trust God. That's why it is so hard for the rich to enter into heaven. It's not difficult because of quantity, but rather because of heart condition, the element of dependence. And remember, we are rich. So gird your heart to remain faithful to Jesus. And then third, guard it. Guard it. Having given it, having prepared and strengthened it, guard it. Proverbs 4 says this, guard your heart above all else for it determines the course of your life. It determines the course of your life. The condition and location of our heart is the, is the defining factor of our life. It's okay to have stuff. We just can't afford to let stuff have us. Yet it is so tempting. It is a very real temptation. So daily set your hearts on things above. Keep love at the foundation. Depend on him. Be careful in what you pursue, what you look at, what you long for. Because the heart determines the course of your life. Guard it. Give it gird it, guard it. And I wonder at this point, though, where do you need to set your heart today? Where do you need to set your heart to live in freedom, to live in right relationship with a God? Where, where, where has your life gone sideways because you haven't given, girded, or guarded it? You have an opportunity to do that today, to let go of treasure as you give in worship. He, God doesn't, he doesn't need your money. He wants your heart and things will vie for it. People will distract you. Your heart will want to wander. Don't follow it. Lead it. Direct your heart by your treasure. Our, our offering honors God, not because he needs it, but because it demonstrates our need for him, our dependence on him, him as priority. It's an expression of value. And an offering that we give back is, says more about who we are than him. It says more about our heart than it does about his and our heart doesn't lead, it follows. And it follows whatever we set it upon, whatever we value, whatever we prioritize. As we get ready to step back into worship, I want to leave you with one more scripture and then pray with you. It comes from Psalm 119, and, and maybe this is something you'll be able to pray. Say, I cling to your statutes, Yahweh. It's another name for God. Don't let me be disappointed. I run in the path of your commands. I, I put into practice what I believe. For you have set my heart free. I want to take a moment to pray together, and I want to invite you to have a conversation with God about where your heart is right now, where it's aligned, what your next step is, where you need to give, gird, or guard, because it matters.
it matters and has a ripple into eternity. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you that in the midst of, a, of this world and life, you have created a way for us to have a relationship with you. It's through Jesus and Jesus alone. I'm so grateful for that. I'm grateful, Father, that even when our hearts have wandered, that you are filled with mercy and you show grace to us and you allow us to be restored. And I, I pray for those that need to give their heart to you because it has wandered. Would do that today. I pray, Father, that you help us all to gird and guard our hearts from the things that want to distract it. And I pray, Father, that you'd help us to position the things that you've given us, those good gifts, before you in a manner that allows our heart to be aligned with you for your glory. God, I pray that we would be a people marked, marked by your lordship and that we would know, that we would know the path, that our hearts would be free and that we would cling to your commands. So, Father, as we continue to reflect on what our next steps are, I pray that you'd speak to each one of us and we have the courage and boldness to step in Jesus Christ. And I pray this in his name. Everybody said, amen.